Hello and welcome to Punch a Hole in the Wind, a look at some of the great thoroughbred racehorses who have graced our racetracks all around the world over the last century or so. I'm Ollie Hine, and it's great of you to join me on this exciting trip down memory lane. My aim is to both remind you of some of your heroes from years gone by, but also to introduce you to some others whom you may not be so familiar with. Infuriating the misspelling of his name may have been, but by the end of American Pharaoh's scintillating career in 2015, few people cared. After Seattle Slew and Affirmed won back-to-back -back triple crowns in the late 1970s, and with the afterglow of Secretariat still visible, some observers understandably became complacent. It seemed like the US Triple Crown was becoming commonplace. Easy, almost. With the advantage of history, we can now say with certainty that it was anything but. And the US had just been spoilt with an abundance of riches in that decade. The wait for the next would be fully 37 years. Yet a horse shouldn't be included here just because they win a Triple Crown. Many on both sides of the Atlantic haven't made the cut. But American Pharaoh does make it. Not just because of what he did, but how he did it. The gentle bay colt's name was both appropriate and frustrating. Appropriate because as a son of pioneer of the Nile, grandson of Yankee gentleman, and being owned and bred by flamboyant Egyptian-American businessman Ahmed Zayat, it all made sense. All that is, except for the infuriating misspelling of Pharaoh. The story goes that Zayat's son Justin ran a naming competition for the horse and copied and pasted the winning suggestion before sending it on to the jockey club. Before anyone spotted the mistake, it was in the system and too late. It wasn't just his name that was wrong. His tail was far shorter than average, although he hadn't been born that way. Some later detective work concluded that his paddock companion as a yearling at the breeding farm in Florida, a certain Mr. Z, chewed it off. Possibly out of hunger, or perhaps, sensing later greatness, out of jealousy. Not reaching his reserve price at the yearling sales, likely because of a slight swelling on his leg, Zayat kept him and put him in training with Bob Baffert. It didn't take long for the experts to spot that there was something different about the colt's movement. His smooth stride and athletic movement drew one observer to compare him to basketball legend Michael Jordan. He said, when he would go up in the air with his stride, he seemed to stay up in the air longer and cover more ground than other horses. Yet he disappointed on his first track run, a six and a half furlong maiden at Del Mar, coming only in fifth and displaying uncharacteristic jitters before and after. Baffert worked out that American Pharaoh was acutely sensitive to the shouting of the crowd and would run him thereafter with noise-drowning earbuds. Undeterred, and now with Victor Espinosa in the saddle, Baffert sent him to the Grade 1 Del Mar Futurity, where his karma juvenile displayed what they knew he was capable of, and bolted up by just shy of five lengths. He backed this up three weeks later in the Grade 1 front-runner stakes, where, in a neat case of nominative determinism, he led the entire way to easily dispatch his rivals by three and a half lengths. That race would later be named after him. Despite being pulled out of the Breeders' Cup Juvenile with a bruised foot, officials had seen enough to give him end-of-year top juvenile honours. For his sensational classic season of 2015, Baffert chose a low-key start, preferring to warm his colt up at Oaklawn, Arkansas, first in the Rebel Stakes 
and then in the Arkansas Derby. In those, he confirmed his versatility. He won the former from the front in wet conditions, with a loose shoe, the latter from behind on drier ground, and in both he finished many lengths clear of the opposition. He was an obvious favourite for the Kentucky Derby at Churchill Downs, which as usual attracted a lineup that included many proven Grade 1 performers. There were concerns before the off, as a skittish American pharaoh was unhappy, needing four grooms to calm him. It seemed that even the earbuds were not keeping out the volume of the epic 170,000-strong crowd. Once the race was underway, though, and despite having used up too much energy with those pre-race nerves, Espinoza felt in control, although he had to fight for his one-length victory over firing line. Even so, Espinoza was criticised for hitting his horse too often during the race, although closer scrutiny suggests that as often as not he was simply waving his whip or hitting the saddlecloth. As if to make a point, Espinoza didn't hit American Pharaoh once during the Preakness stakes a fortnight later, as it was clear he simply didn't need to. Despite exiting from an unfavourable inside stall, he had the advantage of having proven himself before in similar muddy conditions. Mr Z also raced, this time showing no interest in his friend's tail, probably because he couldn't get anywhere near it. American Pharaoh romped clear in the stretch to a seven-length victory. By this stage, Zayat's handsome, kindly colt was gaining a proper fan club, known as Pharaoh's fans, who would dress in ancient Egyptian-style clothing in the yellow and blue colours of their hero. For once, the spillover from his victories was seeping into wider US sporting consciousness in a way that few horses manage. Since affirmed 37 years previously, nine horses had won the first two legs of the Triple Crown only to be thwarted by the test of the champion, the Belmont Stakes. It has never been easy. There was something in the air, though, as this felt decidedly different. It was not hope in the air, but a sense of fate and expectation matched by the disproportionately large audience of 22 million watching it live on TV. The pharaoh knew his lines, and owned the track that day as he had done so often previously. Pushed to the front straight away by Espinoza, he bossed them from the off, gradually increasing the tempo and storming clear for a five-and-a-half-length victory. As commentator Larry Colmer screeched on the tannoy, American pharaoh is finally the one. And that, he was. The stars had finally once again aligned. In an echo of Secretariat's Belmont, very few of the $2 winning tickets bought on course were cashed in. They were now souvenirs of history being made. After a short break, the pharaoh was next out at the nine furlong Haskell invitation at Monmouth, for no other reason than Zayat wanting him to run on a Sunday in New Jersey in front of a big crowd. It was little more than a stroll in the park for the colt with Espinosa motionless and pulling him up for the whole final furlong. Second that day was Keen Ice, and it was that very horse who caused a sensation when they met again at Saratoga for the Travers Stakes. The course once again lived up to its Graveyard of Champions moniker, with American Pharaoh, harassed and unsettled throughout by Frosted, unable to respond to the from-behind finish of Keen Ice, going down by three-quarters of a length. It seemed that the repeated travelling across the country was taking its toll. But the pharaoh wasn't finished. He had another date with destiny to fulfil. 
When last the Triple Crown was won, the Breeders' Cup had only been an idea on paper. The addition of the Classic to the three venerable races was together seen as an unofficial and season-long Grand Slam. Held that year in Keeneland, the Breeders' Cup Classic was so steeped in quality that few could remember anything comparable. Six of his seven rivals were grade or group one winners. With crowds 20 deep and earbuds firmly in place, the favourite was there to prove that the Travers had been a blip rather than the start of a decline. In control throughout, he thundered down the stretch with his light, bouncy stride to destroy all comers by six and a half lengths in course record time. The slam was his, and it will only be another true great that wins another. As Baffert pointed out after, when comparing to other top horses, they have a small window of greatness, where Pharaoh, he had a window all year long. It had long been known that Zayat had sold his breeding rights for his hero for the following season, meaning that he was retired to Ashford Stud Farm in Kentucky, with a distinctly European-looking record of a mere 11 races, making him the most likely race Triple Crown winner, a record which would only stand for three years until Justify came along. Sports Illustrated's readers easily voted him their sportsperson of the year, a vote that the editors promptly ignored, opting for Serena Williams instead. But American Pharaoh had by then easily proved that even in the 21st century with such immense competition from wealthy sports that are marketed to the hilt to an entranced American public, a great horse can still burst through into wider US consciousness. Horses like him don't come around often. That was why, after he retired, the US Jockey Club took the precaution of registering the correct spelling of his name as well. He was unique, and they wanted to keep it that way. To find out more about American Pharaoh and other greats from the past, check out my book, Punch a Hole in the Wind, out now and available online and in bookshops. Next time, we'll go to a different part of the world and share the exploits of another great horse from another era who could punch a hole in the wind. But until then, this is Ollie Hine signing off and saying thank you for listening.